I ask you to take your Bible, turn to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, we are working our way week by week through the book of Jonah, and we have arrived at chapter 3. If you're using that pew Bible in front of you there, it's on page 1068, 1068 in the pew Bible. Jonah chapter 3, in a moment we will stand and read God's Word together. I remember when I was young and we would travel, I would busy myself with grabbing the atlas. You guys remember the road atlas, right? Some of you are going, no, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's a book, it's about this big and it's about that big and it's got lots and lots of pages and that's how we figured out before computers, before phones, how to get from one place to the next. You would look it up and you would see it there on that road atlas. You could find many different ways using an atlas to get to the same location. You could go, it could show you how to get from here to Kansas City through St. Louis, if you wanted to. You could figure out any destination that you wanted and take multiples of trips. Now, that was then, and this is now. You know, they still sell those atlases. I saw one. I don't know that they, well, I'll, I'll take it. They still create these atlases. I don't know if they sell any or not. And some of you are going, Jeff, you just offended me. I just bought one last week. I get it. They're handy to have and be able to look at it. But that was then, and this is now. I'm sure you know that through one of your many apps on your phone, I probably have two or three ways I could do this on my phone right now, that you can get anywhere you want to go. You can just say, well, I don't want to, I don't have my phone with me. But, you know, have you ever been talking to somebody and your phone starts looking up something for you, it hears your voice, and it thinks you said, hey, Siri? But, you know, you, you know I could say, hey, Siri, take me and put this address in here, and it will just, I don't even have to tell it an address. I'll say, Siri, take me home. She'll tell me exactly how to get. Do you know sometimes it happens, and maybe it happens to you too, we'll get in the car, in the garage, at home, and the phone just automatically, we don't even have to tell it, the phone pops up and says, it is eight minutes until you get to, and it puts this address in there. You guys ever had your phone tell you where it thought you were getting ready to go? I have my phone so trained that it knows when I'm leaving my driveway, we're going to Duncan. It just knows. It already just pulls it up and tells me that we're going to Duncan. Did you know that you can, through these apps on your phone, you can tell it to take you the long way, the short way. You can go hitting every toll road you can find, or you can say, don't ever put me on a toll road. You can say, put me on back roads, put me on highways. You can tell your phone to take you and do just about anything. You know, on our phone, the phones are even so smart now that they'll interject on your way from here to, I wish they'd tell me this way in advance, but they tell me from here to Destin when I'm getting ready to get stuck in traffic, and it gives me detours on how to get out and around, or it says there's an accident coming ahead, or some of you even have apps on your phone that says there's a policeman two miles ahead. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. One advantage of GPS apps over atlases is that when new roads, new pathways are developed, apps are updated, atlases become 
obsolete, outdated. That's right. Then I ran into this quote. Um, C.H. Spurgeon, Zeke and I have been chatting a little bit, and, and this quote, he, he's taking a class, and I get to walk with him, so sometimes I feel like I'm taking part of the class, and I'm loving the ride. But we ran into this quote by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. It came from his sermon, Christ Precious to Believers in the New Park Street Pulpit, volume number five. So he's captured all of this, so it's in this book. Here's the quote. From every town, village, and little hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road to London. And so from every text in Scripture, there is a road to the metropolis of Scriptures, that is Christ. Your business is, talking to other pastors, when you get to a text to say, now, what is the road to Christ? And then preach a sermon running along the road toward that great metropolis, Christ. You know what Spurgeon is saying is? All Scripture leads to Jesus. All Scripture leads to Christ. I heard somebody say, too, you know there are many roads to God. But there's only one way through Christ. And that is the most important pathway, GPS, direction that a person must go. And that's why I'm proud of these young men. You know, before you get baptized, you have to get saved. And the only way to get saved is to follow the outline of Scripture that leads a person to Jesus. And that is why we open these doors. Yes, we want to worship, and we want to minister, and we want to fellowship, and we want to pray. But church, let's understand, there is no room for this building, nor lights, nor anything, if we are not first about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. All roads in Scripture lead to Christ. And with that background, let's stand together and read from Jonah chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Jonah chapter 3, picking up at verse 1, says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Thank you. You may be seated. And you're probably thinking, Jeff, that is an awfully awkward spot to stop. You just got right in the middle. Surely you were going to get all the way through chapter 3. And I thought so. But let me tell you what happened. Me and my scribe were sitting in my office. You know, I have to have a scribe still. Just between me and you, I'm never taking this off. <laughs> I don't have to take this. You know, as long as I do this, Angela turns my mic on for me, sits with me. Somebody types for me. Man, I got it made. You guys are going, poor guy. I'm going, no, I'm lucky. Angela says I'm pushing it, but, uh, <laughs> but I was reading this 
with my scribe, and I came through, and we were doing breaking down Scripture. First thing I always do after I read it about a dozen times, and then I go on my board, and I start just Scripture, just breaking down what it says to me. And let me tell you what I heard along this pathway of Bible study that God told me. When I got to verse 5, I was getting ready to go to verse 6, and God says, no, this is your destination. I stopped right here because, church, I believe that the message God has for us exists in these five verses. Now, I'm not saying anything negative about verse 6 because we're going to say a whole lot positive about verse 6 next week. But I am telling you that I believe that where we're going today is exactly. So it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, now. Now, this word is very similar to the word then or very similar to the word after. So let me just bring you up to speed. If you're going, Jeff, I've not been here any of the weeks. Well, let me quickly recap where we've been. After or now in verse chapter 3, verse 1, now that Jonah is on dry land, I'm going backwards. You know, we left Jonah on dry land last week, which meant that Jonah and God had made things right. Jonah being the one making things right with God. Repentance, we talked about that last week in the sermon. So now that Jonah was on dry land, prior to that, now that the Lord has restored and answered Jonah, prior to do that, now that Jonah has repented and turned to the Lord, now we are. Say that right way. Jonah ran from God. Jonah got caught in a storm that God hurled at him. Jonah got pitched in the sea, got captured by a fish that the Lord prepared for him. After three days of sitting in there, he finally turned to the Lord and repented. The Lord restored him and made sure he got on dry land. And we talked last week, well, dry land is where we want to be. But I wanted to discuss repentance for just one more moment. Repentance means to have a change of heart, a change of direction. But let me go ahead and clarify what that change of direction must look like. A 180 degree turn. You're living for this, repentance comes, you turn and you commit. 180, an about face, and you turn your life over to Jesus Christ. He is now Lord and Savior. He now gets to tell you how to live, what to do, all of these things. That's repentance. But so many times and not show up in Jonah's life a little bit too. We repent, but we repent, let's call it 178 degrees. We turn around, and our life is vastly different than the life that we turned from. But that life is just short of being absolutely aligned with Jesus. And the best thing I can do is explain to you that I used to be very bad at the game of golf. I'm not good at it now, I just quit. But I used to be very bad at the game of golf. And you know, the one thing I couldn't do is I couldn't hit it straight. Do you know that if you hit it straight, it goes straight. But if you hit it not straight, it goes crooked. And golf is such a long game that you can be just a percentage or two off of straight. And by the time it goes two, three hundred yards down the fairway, you're over in the other fairway. Just a small miscalculation or a small mishit, and the next thing you know, you're way off base. Repentance that is not 180 degree repentance, not total surrender, not total turn to Jesus. 
That uh, repentance means you're holding on to just a little bit. It'll eventually take you off the path God has for you. So church, I just want to remind you on repentance. Repentance is an absolute 180 degree. Let go of everything that's not Jesus kind of commitment. That's what I pray for these two young men. That's what I pray for me. Let's just go ahead and be bold. That's what I pray for you. That once you turn, you never have to return because you stay committed. Verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Church, we could see that as God speaks to, we see this as God speaking to Jonah again. That's got to be a sweet sound. If you recall, because of Jonah's disobedience, the Lord has not spoken to Jonah since Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. God told Jonah what to do. Jonah said, uh-uh. And the next thing you know, we're in chapter 3, and Jonah has gone through this whole journey, and now God speaks to him again. The Lord is now speaking to Jonah due to Jonah repenting and returning to the Lord. Do you recall that moment that you've been in a conversation that turned into an argument, that turned into quietness with whomever you want to put on the other end of this conversation? Do you ever recall when that conversation began again? How you just go, oh, that's over. Silence is hard. And Jonah hears the voice of the Lord again. Some of you are going, well, I need to hear the voice of the Lord again. Let me tell you how to make that happen. Repent. Wherever you are, repent. Whatever you're doing, repent. Don't play at it. Don't hold on to any of it. Don't reserve something for a later day. Just repent. Here's what I promise you. If you will repent and yield and turn your life 180 degrees, absolutely in alignment with God, God will speak to you. How do I know that? He just did. And how do I know that in my life? Because when I'm not close to God, I don't hear Him. But when I'm seeking Him and all out yielded to Him, it's easy to hear Him. Lead and guide us. Verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord to Jonah. He, the Lord tells Jonah what to do. The Lord, guess what, guess what God tells Jonah? The exact same thing He told him the last time He said something. Now, church, that's really important. You see, sometimes we don't do what God wants us to do because we don't want to do that, and we figure if we just hold out long enough, God will change His mind, and somebody else will do it, and we'll get to do something different. I think it's interesting. God says, hey, Jonah, remember what I told you to do? That's still what I'm telling you to do. And church, that's uh, important. It's important because it reminds us that God does not change. His plans do not change, nor do His desires for us. Philippians 1, 6 says this, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. God had begun a good work in Jonah. Remember, he was a prophet of God way before we introduced him to here. God says, I'm not going to stop 
What God says is what I have determined for you will happen. We talked about this in Jeremiah not many weeks ago. And God says, don't tell me you can't. You'll go where I tell you to say what I say because that's what I've got ordained for you. The word of the Lord tells Jonah what to do. Do you know that God will bring about in your life obedience to him? The purpose he has for you, the plans he has for you, he's going to bring them about. Guess what role you get to play? Just exactly how he has to go about getting it done. You can get on a boat. You can get in a storm. You can get in a fish. Or you can just go, Lord, I trust you. Let me do what you say in the beginning. The question we need to ask ourselves as you become repentant is are you repentant and obedient enough to do exactly what God will tell you to do? It will not be unclear. It's only unclear when you're not in alignment with God. Verse 2, God says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now, that is a wonderful thing. Note these things about this. God did not tell Jonah the message yet. Note, God will give Jonah the message when he needs it. Does Jonah need it now? No, Jonah is a long way from Nineveh right now. We'll talk about that in just a second. But you'll do that. And then the message... When you take this phrase, God says, Arise and preach to it the message that I will tell you. One, you don't have it yet. Two, God will give it to you when you need it. And three, when God gives it to you, it will not be your message. It will be His. God has promised to give us the words to say when He places us in a position to speak for Him. Do you know that one of the greatest reasons I hear for people choosing to not share their faith as they go, I'm not sure what to say. Well, let me encourage you just a little bit. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12 says this, Do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Church, can I tell you that that is a faithful truth of God's Word? So many times I walk into conversations or situations or needs or meetings, and I just say, Lord, this is going to have to be you. Lead and guide, direct, provide the words. Church, can I tell you, he's faithful. He's faithful. He will provide to you what to say. Verse 3, so Jonah, praise the Lord, arose and went to Nineveh. Now, we know that Jonah begins this journey from a place called dry land. Right? Now, what it said on on chapter 2, verse 10, Scripture does not teach us where this dry land is. By looking on the map, it's highly unlikely, because I could not find a way where that great fish would have been able to have made water that far inland and just spit him out right at the gate of Nineveh. Basically, what I see is that the best thing Jonah could have hoped for is that the Lord spit him out where he started over in Joppa. If I'm God, I spit him out in Italy. (laughs) Right? 
You know, we think that because, and if you go look at the map and you're going, well, that's funny to some, Italy is way over here. And, and, and God says, okay, Jonah, now go to Nineveh. Running from God does not work, church. Can I just say that to you again? And so Jonah, he doesn't need the message of God yet because he at best has a month-long walk to get from where he is, dry land, to where God's sending him, Nineveh. And that walk will be longer than it would have been in the beginning, and I have found that to be true in my life as well. My life lived outside of God's plan typically takes me further away from what God wants me to do. So church, I'm here to tell you, if you repent and trust God and do what he says the first time, it'll save you some steps. And some of you go, but I'm trying to close the ring on my phone. Oh, nobody got that. Who has a phone? Who, who tries to close their fitness rings every day when you have your iPhone on? We have two iPhones in the whole, three iPhones in the whole building. See, now everybody's popping their hands up because it's cool to have one. But there's, you just need to do what God says. So Jonah obediently goes to Nineveh this time. Verse 3 says, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great journey. He is now there. Nineveh is called a great city four times in the book of Jonah. A three-day journey, verse 3 tells us, in extent. Now, most believe that this mention of three days could be the length of time it might take to walk across the circumference. No, not the circumference. The circumference was probably about 40 to 60 miles around. The diameter, they say, could have been the three-day journey. Here's what I believe the three-day journey represents. The amount of time it took Jonah to obediently fulfill the call of God on his life. You're going, Jeff, well, that doesn't answer the geography question. Well, this was never a geography lesson to begin with. Right? This was an obedience lesson for Jonah to go, and it says that it takes him three days' journey. Look at verse 4. As Jonah began his journey on the first day, he cried out these words. Now, this is the New King James Version of this sermon. It says, sermon says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, if you get back in the Hebrew, it's a five-word message. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, this message is likely not the only words that Jonah spoke as he was there. There are statements made in chapter 4 where Jonah's complaining to God about the people and how they had turned to God. You notice in this message, the beginning message doesn't mention God. It just says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So Jonah probably had given more information in this three days while he was there. But this message that we're given tells us a lot about the character of God, tells us a great deal about the power of God. This short summary message contains two very distinct statements. Number one, Nineveh was going to be judged for its sin. One of the reasons Scripture calls Nineveh a great city is because its wickedness is great. We talked in our small group this morning about uh, the woman caught in adultery, and we all threw in the fact that while that might not be our specific guilt, standing before God, we are all guilty. Can I tell you today that you have a sin need if you do not know Jesus? 
The second thing that this message says, not only that God was going to judge Nineveh, Nineveh had a 40-day window in order to fix the problem. You know what that's called, church? That's called mercy. It's called grace. God says, you have a problem with your sin. And instead of wiping you out right now, I'm going to share with you the truth. Church, that's just awesome. This very simple sermon contained a very simple truth. God is holy. Our sin creates a problem in our lives. God has an expectation. God took the action and gave His Son. God's response is called the gospel. Church, can I tell you that while we're still in the Old Testament back here, this message was about leading people to look to God. It's about having them come to understand the gospel. It's interesting. I was thinking my favorite way to share the gospel is called the Romans Road. You know, there was a statement back, it's still a statement, all roads lead to Rome. Can I tell you that when I'm sharing salvation, that's slightly off. All roads lead to Romans. Because all Scripture leads to Christ. And we can see that God is sharing. So God sent Jonah to Nineveh to share the gospel. Nineveh was a great city because of its size. It was a great city because of its sin. But I think the thing that made it the greatest thing to God, the greatest city to God, was the population. We read ahead, and we know it's a great big city at that time, but you know what makes it special, what makes it great to God, is He loved every single person there. It's a great city. Great in size, great in wickedness, but God sees in it great in number of people he has made that he desires to have a line with him. Verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Isn't that such a simple statement? What an amazing response. Some scholars have stated that this may have been the greatest revival message ever preached. Now, we'll read more about its impacts coming up. And you know, that message was so simple. It was simply the gospel. That's it. Simply the gospel. Church, can I share with you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough? And you're going, Jeff, enough for what? It's enough to take two teenage boys and redirect their whole lives. It's enough to take drugs and alcohol and pornography and whatever other challenges you want to find. It's enough to deliver a person from that. It's enough to forgive whatever sin you're still holding on to. It's enough. Church, can I tell you that when God calls you, if He sends you with any other message than the gospel, it won't be affected, but the gospel will be affected. You're going, but I don't have, 
The gospel seems like such a simple message. Yes. Church, it's a powerful message. And when I got to right here, God said, Whoa, end of the line for you. This is where you're stopping. But he said, I'm not done talking to you. You're just done moving through Jonah. Did you know that there are examples after examples in the Word of God where salvation occurred and it changed things quickly? Let me just, you can write these down. I'm not going to read them, but you can write these down if you want to. But in Luke chapter 19, we read about a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I just got that out there for you. You can sing the rest of the song later. But what we also know about Zacchaeus is he was a lost little man who had cheated many people. But he heard Jesus was coming. And he responded and ran out. Do you realize how burdened and needful you've got to be? He ended up giving his life to the Lord. Jesus said in verse 9, Today salvation has come. In a moment, Zacchaeus' life was different. Why? Because of the gospel. Luke chapter 23, you can write this down, picking up in verse 32. Jesus is on the cross, and on one side is a thief, and on the other side is a thief, and this thief is railing on him, and this thief, Scripture says, railed on him in the beginning, and then this thief, through experiencing Jesus in that moment and all that was happening, said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. The gospel. Acts chapter 8, we talk about an Ethiopian eunuch and a man named Philip who was a Christ follower. And the Lord sends Philip to talk to him. And this eunuch is sitting in his chariot reading the word of God and doesn't understand it. And Philip, through the Lord's prompting, approached him and said, hey, what you reading? The man said, I have no idea. Can you help me? And Philip got up in there, and Scripture says that he preached Jesus, beginning in verse 35. And you know what happened in that Ethiopian eunuch's life? He's carrying his Bible with him. You know, carrying a Bible don't make you saved. He had just come from the festivals, you know, doing the religious festivals don't make you saved. You know what made this Ethiopian eunuch saved? is he believed the gospel, the word of God is shared with him by Philip, and he said, what keeps me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe in Jesus, nothing. In a moment, the gospel changed his life. Acts chapter 16, picking up in verse 25, we hear about this Philippian jailer. Paul and his friends are caught up in the jail, Miraculous event happens. The jail just springs wide open. Chains drop off their hands. Everybody assumes when the jailer wakes up, he says, oh, no, they're all going to be gone. And he says that he's about to take his life. That's how close to death he got. And Paul said, no, no, we're all still here. And the Philippian jailer ran to Paul and said, what must I do to be saved? A moment earlier, he's trying to take his life.
Let me just stop for just a second. This is not over here. If you have a life value challenge right now, whether you're online or whether you're in this room, if you have a life value challenge, if you're thinking my life isn't worth it, can I tell you that that scripture right there says, God says, I will show you now the power of the gospel. Can I tell you now that you need to reach out and get help and I'll be a great place for you to begin? Your life is valuable. And this man, it says in this scripture, verse they, he came, and Paul says, verse 31, if you believe in Jesus, in verse 32, he spoke the word of the Lord to him, which means he shared the gospel with him, and he and his family came to know the Lord, and they were baptized the same night. In a moment, God, he went from my life is over to my life is changed. You know why? Because of the gospel. In Acts chapter 10, we get to hear about a man named Cornelius. You know, it's funny. Before you read that passage over there, the Lord had been warming Peter up to get ready to go. And then Cornelius gets this vision from God, and he says, send for Peter. And Peter comes, and he shares with him. And in verse 36, Peter shared the gospel. And Cornelius and his family came to know Jesus, in a moment. In 1995, I went on mission to the Ukraine. And I was gone. Michael was six weeks old when we left, when I left. Angela stayed with the boys. But in 1995, this is before we even moved here, and me and, and this other man, we got to stay in the home of a pastor for all this time we were there. And he was the, you know me, I've just been in the, the Lord called me in 2010, so we're, not, we're talking about 1995, that's a long time ago. And we had an interpreter, because neither of us spoke Ukrainian. And so we would go places, we would speak, she would speak, we would speak, she would speak. And then there was a bilingual person in the crowd after one of our times of sharing, because you're always going to share the gospel. If you're going to take time to go to the other side of the world, don't beat around the bush. Share the gospel. Okay, so we were sharing the gospel. And somebody came up and they said, you just need to know that what you're saying and what she's saying are not the same thing. So we go, Okay. So we had a conversation with our interpreter. And we said, we've been told that what we're saying is not what you're saying. And she says, what you're saying will offend people. And I'm just making it not offensive. And we said, we appreciate your trying to take care of us, but we need you to just say what we say. She says, okay. So we go out the next day. We say, she says. We say, she says. We got somebody checking on her now. Yep, she's saying what we're saying. Three days later, our interpreter comes to know Jesus. Because she finally quit trying to make the gospel fit her. She just allowed the gospel to be true.
in a moment. Church, when you're on mission and your interpreter gets saved, that's a long way to go to see somebody get saved. It's not. It all becomes worth it in that moment. Church, can I remind you that all scriptural roads lead to Christ? Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And then it goes on to say, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. What that really means is everybody. The gospel is the power to salvation. There has not been a person ever been made right with Jesus except through the gospel. Nobody in heaven is in heaven except for the gospel. Everybody that's in hell that's been separated from God is there because they did not accept the gospel. And in this world, those of us that are still alive on this day, we are alive eternally because of the gospel or we are separated from God because we don't accept the gospel. And church, can I tell you that the reason people don't accept the gospel most of the time is because they don't hear the gospel. Jonah was called to share the gospel. What a loving, merciful, graceful act of God. He saw their sin and said, I'm going to give them time. I've asked this question every week as we've been in the book of Jonah. Church, does your heart match God's heart? If it does, you'll go where he says. You'll say what he tells you. And you will boldly share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all that you come in contact with. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Can I tell you right now that the gospel, before you came to know Jesus, I'll just make it personal. You know, before I came to know Jesus, the gospel meant nothing to me. But the moment I understood the gospel and believed it, it meant everything to me. And that's a short testimony of anybody who knows Jesus. People who, don't, people who do not hear the gospel do not come to know Jesus. People who hear the gospel are allowed to be impacted by its power and then have the opportunity to come to know Jesus. Amen? Amen. The gospel. Every single one of us in this room were brought here this morning by God, by appointment to hear the gospel. Now, you're either going to go, thank you, God, for changing my life and delivering me. Help me, Lord, to be faithful to share the gospel with others. Or you might be sitting here today going, I've never heard that before. 
Can I tell you, wherever you are on the spectrum of the gospel, Jesus is ready to receive you right now. He keeps giving us days. To Nineveh, he was going to give them 40. Now, I'm not much into a scare gospel kind of guy. But let me just mention to you this. If you do not know Jesus, I don't know what day God's going to call you home. But I do know that if these people from Nineveh did not turn to God within 40 days, God was going to keep his word. And they would not have been able to turn to God. I want to encourage you, if you do not know Jesus, I would take it very seriously and think about accepting him today. But let me go back to those who know Jesus. You know people who may not have many days left. And you're going, Jeff, are you talking about sick people? Yeah. But I'm also talking about well people. Anybody ever known somebody? They were good, healthy, and fine. And then they died. Yep. We must take the message God has given us to this world. They need the gospel more than they need anything else. Amen?